This is the After Party, live with Jim McAllister and John Daly. Happy Wednesday, Kim McAllister. How are you doing? That's my kind of music. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I don't like to hear mommy and daddy uh, bickering over no, the Christmas music. No, no. Look at us go. Murphy with a $5. Happy wow. Wednesday after Murphy, party thank live, y'all. you very much. Happy Wednesday to you, Murphy Brown. But Murphy Rowan. <laughs> Murphy Brown. But where's my brain at? Thank you, Murphy. That's really kind. Your brain Al is in the 80s. Slapping down a $5 super sticker as well. Smashing it with this rod. It's harder than the 1929 Great Depression. Ho, ho, ho. Look at Wes, too. But then there's more. So, so nice. Thank you, really guys. Kind. Thank you for all the contributions. Yeah, really we don't have a huge it. audience to draw upon for contributions. So when sure you do, do, you make... Well, we don't have a huge audience. So when you do, <laughs> it makes... It means even uh, that much more. Yeah. No, um, you does. really make it work. Yeah, and thank you so, for the nice messages you. as well. So uh, after party live on a Wednesday, here we are. I've got the beautiful snowflakes in the background. Thank you, John oh, Daly. Boy. Looks pretty, pretty good. Um, anything big going on with you? Uh, I'm having my, I'm having two cups of coffee today. Oh, uh oh, watch out, everybody. Oh, and your Mark Thompson show mug. Look at you go. Yeah. So, uh, um, I, that's your warning, basically. It's so interesting how caffeine affects you so strongly because I could drink that and nothing would happen to me. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So we'll see if the, um, my words, uh, you know, go further out of sync with my mouth. Mm. find out uh, we also want to thank mod day for a 25 dollar super thanks yesterday and after hours trading thank you mod yeah all these contributions really add up and help pay for this soundboard yeah thank <laughs> you for satan and the mockingbird we really appreciate it yeah they all they all say thank you did you see this french laundry issuing yeah. a cease and desist yeah. letter to a cannabis company that's pretty funny this is the founders of Maven Genetics. They're a California-based cannabis company. And they've changed the name of their one of their most popular strains of, of cannabis uh, to the French Laundry. And the French Laundry heard about that. It's a trademark name. Right. They can't you can't use it or call it the French laundry. The Unless French you're laundry an actual French laundry in Paris, I imagine you can't get away with that. I don't know if even then, but the cannabis company put out a press release earlier this month saying they would withdraw the name French Laundry after receiving a cease and desist letter from the Napa Valley restaurant, Thomas Keller's French Laundry. Um, Maven has received a cease and desist letter from renowned Napa restaurant French Laundry citing trademark infringement issues. We the never strains- hear from his wife, Helen. No, we we don't hear from her, Helen Keller. Uh, They say our strain's name, meant as a playful tribute to its parent uh, genetics, was never intended to infringe on any trademark, but to avoid legal entanglements, we have made the difficult decision to retire the French laundry name from our product lineup. Yeah, that was a real difficult decision. What do they mean they didn't mean to infringe? Of course they meant to infringe. That's exactly what they did. It's a popular high-end restaurant. Uh, I'm more concerned about the name of their company, Maven Genetics. Yeah. Like, what is your pot doing to me? I don't know. I don't know if you want to know. <laughs> this is one of those crazy stories to to jump into animals about an animal that was lost for a really, really long time and then found and making its way back to where you know it originally started. This lost dog was found after six and a half years living on her own in the woods. This uh 
this dog fled from her new family within 24 hours after being adopted. So didn't have time to really learn where, where her home is, how to get back home, what have you. This happened in England. The dog ended up living in the woods for about six years in a West Sussex. So they set up cameras to investigate West Sussex, West Sussex team members were alerted to a stray dog there. So they put up cameras to see if this was somebody's pet or what happened. They discovered this dog was a black Patterdale Terrier. Neighbors said they've been feeding this stray dog for years. It was lured into a trap uh, baited with chicken. And they were shocked to find out that it had been missing for six and a half years uh, from a family who had adopted her, again, just 24 hours before she fled. Her name is Rose, 12 years old now, uh, lived half of her life in the woods. Uh, The family, they say they're unable to take her back. Their circumstances have changed, but they're happy that she's been found alive and well. So I guess Rose. What does that mean? Back up Take for responsibility, adoption. jerks. It's true. Once I think once you adopt an animal, it's your responsibility. And if you can't personally, you know, take care of it, then find somebody. It's on you to find somebody to take care of it. What would have happened if if your circumstances changed and she hadn't run away? Would you just then take her back to the shelter? Is that what you do? Yeah, it sounds like they maybe yeah. they purposely got rid of it. Oh, that's uh, anyway lame on them, but uh, good yeah. that they found this dog. Um, yeah. What a cutie. Yeah, I feel bad for her. But what a scrappy dog to make her own way in the forest for six years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Didn't have to rely on those nasty, nasty humans. Um, Mm -hmm. This next story, you know, I love my cat stories. I know. Did you hear about the NASA cat video? (laughs) I love this one. So NASA beams a cat video from deep space using a laser. Uh, A 15-second clip of Taters, the cat, was sent via laser and fittingly shows it chasing a laser beam. Footage of the orange tabby traveled 19, get this, 19 million miles, wow. right? Some 80 times the distance from Earth to the moon. NASA hopes the laser tech it was testing will eventually improve communications with more re- remote parts of the solar system. So we can have those video calls with the aliens, right? Taters, whose paws remained firmly on Earth, is owned by an employee of uh, NASA's JPL, Jet Propulsion, uh, Jet Propulsion, Help me. There goes the coffee kicking in. Propulsion Laboratory in California. (laughs) The video was uploaded to the spacecraft launched uh, with SpaceX's Falcon Heavy rocket from Florida's Kennedy Space Center on October 13th and was streamed on the 11th of December. Do we have Um, the video? Yeah. Despite transmitting from millions of miles away, it was able to send the video faster than most broadband internet connections. That's cool. Uh, Looking at you in Xfinity. Uh, <laughs> let's let's check this out. It was received by the Hale Telescope at the Palomar Observatory, where it was downloaded and looked a little something like this. That's pretty cool. cool. So they were doing that just to show how fast they could. Yeah. Now get this. So it was downloaded to the Palomar Observatory, right? And then they had to, uh, in real time, stream it to the JPL uh, labs, right? Mm-hmm. The connection in space was actually faster than the connection between the Palomar Observatory and the JPL Labs. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Anyway. um, This next story involves a bird. Bird, bird, bird. Bird, bird is the word. Yep. Mr. Grouse. This bird is named Mr. Grouse. And he found, apparently, a relationship with a human. He started following around this person. Three years later, still following around this person. Mr. Grouse, apparently, is really, really friendly. 
Um, this man bought 50 acres of forested land in Pennsylvania. He said he was looking to retire, build a home, and live in solitude. But during a camping trip there, he found this wooded plot. Wasn't very lonely. This roughed grouse is about the size of a crow with a little mohawk and little mottled feathers appeared right at his feet. Again, it's been following him around. Bigger than a mockingbird. Much bigger mockingbird. Much bigger. But he's been following this man around and now basically ingratiates himself into everything the man does. The guy rides a tractor. Mr. Grouse is riding the tractor. The guy's going on ladders. Mr. Grouse is hopping up on ladders. He's hoping for seed or like some worms. I don't know. He's just friendly. He's extremely friendly. The man said, in all honesty, he can be a pain, too. Um, When he or his guests drive away, the bird throws himself under the car. He never wants you to leave. He's learned that if he's under the car, you won't leave. He also can get a little too friendly, untying your shoelaces, pulling your hair. He considers Mr. Grouse his friend, but he's curious as to why the bird... Now he's starting to sound like a psycho ex. Chosen him. Yeah, he's a little crazy. He's needy. Mr. Grouse is friendly and needy. Um, It's interesting. They say uh, that maybe it's a chromosomal issue with this bird, that it can affect traits like demeanor uh, type of thing, and that these birds, I guess, are less migratory uh, and that they interact with other populations different differently. So this grouse apparently are very bizarre. They're closely related to turkeys and quail. They're lousy flyers. They spend most of their time on the ground where they thrive eating bitter, toxic plants. In the winter, they grow comb-like extensions from their toes that act like snowshoes, and they spend cold nights burrowed in snowbanks. They also do drumming. It's a mating display where the male... You can say they do drugs. No, the drumming. <laughs> they the drumming. male beats his wings so fast that the whole forest seems to vibrate. Uh, you you can feel it. It's an amazing sensation, they say. So I don't know. But this little grouse, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's an interesting little bird. Very, very yeah. interesting. And a uh, shout out to Julie D for sending that story into us. Thank we you, Julie. Julie D. Yay. And speaking of stories being sent in, this one is sent in by Lori G. Thank you, Lori. It's about newts, newts across a Bay Area roads. And let me see if I can get you a photo here. Here's one of the little guys. Oh, there's that little newt. Newts cross Bay Area roads by the thousands each year, and volunteers are their crossing guards. In the rainy season, tiny salamanders migrate from burrows to ponds, but automobiles pose a big threat to their survival, of course. Each year, when rain starts to fall in the Bay Area, a little notice but amazing thing happens. Newts, tiny lizard-looking amphibians, emerge from their burrows under the ground and begin their journey to their mating ponds. The slender creatures need moist air to survive the mini-migration and are known to come out in droves when the weather is just right. Um, let's see here. Headlamp ready and wearing rain gear. Um, the person uh, that's um, relating the story says she drove mm-hmm. the pitch black, r- pitch black, there it goes, rode up to Tilden Park at, uh, in Berkeley at 6 p.m., and when she stepped out of the car, the quiet darkness surrounded her. Albeit a little spooky, I was relieved when I spotted my guide for the evening um, walking towards me. Uh, there's an ecologist in uh herpetologist for the center of biological Mm -hmm. diversity and all around newt fan uh and uh, to make sure we didn't step on any newts on our excursion we they uh i was advised to walk very slowly and we made our way 
down there uh, for several months out of the year since the 1990s. This one road has been cr- closed, South Park Drive, um, in the, since the early 90s to protect the newts, and they need protection. When they're journeying from their burrows to the ponds and other bodies of water to mate, they frequently have to cross roads, and they often get run over by cars and bicycles or stepped on by people who are not closely paying attention. So, um, did you know that I my we have them here? I'm not not sure if there's an if it's a newt or a baby salamander, Mm -hmm. but they live. Well, they're a member of the salamander. They are salamanders. they live under rocks usually yeah. in my we have, we have a more like dinosaur looking one. Is it like a lighter color? No, it's kind of What's purplish. Okay. But my nephew was standing on my porch and he, they, they like to, my kids like to find creatures. And so they found one and he was holding him and saying, they call me Auntie Kimmers. Auntie Kimmers, look at the little, the baby salamander. And he wasn't manhandling it. It was just sitting on his finger and maybe it was scared, but it bit his finger and mm. it hurt. Yeah. Leave me alone, uh, kid. Leave me, leave me alone. He wanted to stay under the rock, not be on some kid's hand. So Newt's, yeah, are a member of the salamander family. They come in different sizes, textures, and colors. The most prominent in the Bay Area is aptly named the California Newt. There you go. Um, they're throughout the East Bay, and of course we know the North Bay as well, South Bay. Um, California Newt's are usually around three inches long with dark brown backs and bright red or orange bellies. The color of their stomachs indicate to predators that they are poisonous. Endemic to California, the California Newt is listed by the U.S. Department of Fish and Wildlife as a species of special concern due to habitat habitat loss, competition, mm-hmm. and uh, predation by introduced species. So mm-hmm. um, they live most of their lives underground, bar- buried in the dirt until the first inches of rainfall. So look out for your, your newts. Let's talk about Christmas trees. You can see I have one behind me. It's a live tree. Ooh, uh, yeah, live. it was in Julia's room, but her floor is really messy. And I said, why well, have a Christmas tree if it's just going to be surrounded by... Uh, garbage and old clothes so, in reality you just wanted to steal your daughter's tree yeah, so i moved it in here see now i have a, a christmas tree in here and it smells really good too it's wild to me that somebody would want an antique christmas tree and it looks kind of like charlie brown's sad little yeah, tree this is a 103 year old christmas tree there it is right there you can see it um it's one of the first to be mass produced so it's one of the earlier artificial trees, obviously not a real tree, okay. right? Yeah. It was auctioned off after this lady that had had it her whole life. And every Christmas she brought it out. She said it gave her great joy. Her family auctions it off after she dies. It takes in $4,296 for this Whoa. little tiny tree. It's only two and a half feet tall. It's got 25 branches, 12 berries, and six mini candle holders. It's, But it is believed to be one of the first mass-produced artificial Christmas trees. It was likely purchased by uh, this woman, Dorothy Grant, her mother at Woolworths in London. And oh, wow. they say... I didn't know Woolworths was an international. I guess it was. As simple as this tree is, they say Dorothy loved this tree that it became a staple part of the family celebrations for decades. I don't know how you could auction that off. I mean, you know. Well, I mean, it's the fact that it's old, but it's a little chintzy on the branches. It is, but it was a big part of their family. Like, it was a big thing for them. It's like a tradition. The fact that it brought her such joy is humbling. Uh, It reminds us that extravagance and excess are not required to capture the spirit of Christmas. For Dorothy, it was just enough to have this little tree. Very cute. I took that picture and I took the man out of it 
and I decorated the tree. That's the oh. same tree that's on our thumbnail. <laughs> I, th I thought you, you said, no, you, said you took that it. picture. I'm like, wow, Kim, you really went out. You I went all the way to I didn't Europe? take wow. that. Yeah, Gus Good reporting. No, I didn't yeah, take I that picture. Oh, wow, you're dedicated. I, I, I extracted that picture, and then I decorated the tree. So that's the Got same it. tree that's on our thumbnail today. You're, yeah. getting, you're getting fancy. Yeah. Um, you know who else is taking photos? Gen Z. Mm. Gen Z, they really do sound really whiny, but... The U.S. Army is facing TikTok mutiny as what? Gen Z recruits whine about low pay. Oh. I'm just going to say it. Shitty food and mm -hmm. fitness tests while on bases in uniform. Brazen posts represent audacious challenge to top brass amid a recruitment crisis. One of the posts by uh, military influencer. Military influencer. Come on. <laughs> really? That's mm. what there's a thing? Anthony Laster slams the That's army funny. life. Uh, he says he spent the whole day watching TikToks while supposedly fighting the Taliban. Uh, this is why they should not have internet access on their phones if this is no. the case. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So the brazen posts um, represent the, uh, yeah, my audio keeps going out. Uh, the audacious challenge, as he said, the army fell short of its target by 25% last year. One of the posts by the military influencer says, no privacy, the pay sucks, S word food, disrespectful leadership, disrespectful army you're recruit. in the military no sleep Hello? and it's been viewed I mean, 600 ,000 times did you not know what you were signing up for what a bonehead i know Come last on. year from chicago has more than a million followers on tiktok and made the public comments in uniform while on mission in the desert he's gonna get in trouble in another okay. post he claimed he spent the whole day watching tiktoks while supposedly fighting the taliban it gives a woeful impression of america's fighting forces to potential recruits which is likely to cause further animosity toward tiktok from critics, politicians from both sides have concerns about the platform's links with China, China, and accuse mm -hmm. it of pushing subversive anti-U.S. propaganda. That's interesting, right? Because if this is harming our military and China yeah. owns the company, um, here's another one. If you see this, this is your sign not to join the military, you know, because TikTok could, you know, they choose what to promote, what not to promote. They can tweak their algorithm. So yeah. um, that's really lame. I, I just think that... Um, they need to yeah, be disappointed. It's a bit of a head scratcher. Like, why are all these people? I mean, first of all, the, the military shouldn't be tolerating having these people on their cell phones during, you know, yeah. work time and training and whatever. But it just it smacks of uh, not really investigating what you're going to sign up right. for before you sign up for it. Right. You thought it was just going to be like what? Mm. Like vacation? Cakewalk, um, walk in the park? Yeah. Yeah. So it says, uh, let's see, last year, only 9% of young people, 16 to 21, said they would consider the military, according to Pentagon data, sliding down from 13% before the pandemic. But the military has also faced criticism for using, quote, woke advertising campaigns focused on mm -hmm. diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion, as well as drag shows for troops. <laughs> so there you go. Mm. Well, let's move from that trash to this trash. <laughs> this is a Livermore man who makes these videos where he goes and he cleans up an area and he kind of does it in fast speed, right? His name okay. is Andy Wang. And he, um, for the last few years, he's gone by the name Pengweather Online. And what he does is he goes across the Bay Area cleaning up these illegal dumping sites. And then he uploads the time-lapse videos of before and after the operation. And he says it's so popular because it's so oddly satisfying to see these areas cleaned up. And then you see what they, the pristine area that they look like. He, he says... Yeah, there's this growing audience on Instagram and Reddit because it's like an art. 
seeing the before and afters, what's underneath that trash. So he's been organizing groups to go and help him now. They were most recently on uh, Isabel Avenue in Livermore. Within two hours, they had picked up this dump site where all this garbage was just laying around. And now it's no longer an eyesore. And he says, I'm just trying to show people that actions have consequences, good and bad. Bad if we do nothing. This is what we end up with. Good if we took the time to think about what we did and not illegally dump. So he found himself getting into this whole trash cleanup thing while he was driving along the Altamont Pass on 580. He said he was disgusted by all this garbage along what really should have been a scenic journey out of the Bay Area, you know, where they have the windmills and everything should look beautiful and green rolling hills. He decided to stop one day and start cleaning up. He said he found the work satisfying, not just because of how the area looked when he was done, but how he felt doing it. He said, I prefer doing it myself. It gives me time to be by myself. As I pick up the trash, I think about life. It's time for him to decompress. But he hopes that he will be inspiring other people to help beautify the Bay Area. And he says he's already seen evidence that that is the case. Very and cool. then he got a ticket for stopping on the freeway. No, he didn't. No. Okay. Should have though, because you can't. Does he take you know requests? It's dangerous to pull Does he over. take requests? Maybe he can come up to San Francisco. Oh, you can try. You can use, use his services. I can see that it's oddly satisfying to see that. Oh, look at how clean and beautiful it is. Then right? it reminds me of those. Have you seen the power washing videos where people power no. wash sidewalks and they clean concrete and you can yeah. in, in walls and you can see the before and after. Yeah. Uh, if you if you like things being cleaned, Google that or uh, put that on YouTube after the show. Oh, uh, power washing. Uh, yeah, you'll uh, you'll have that odd satisfaction of like, oh, wow, that feels good. It's nice and clean. Um, Somebody that needs a little power washing, a little hose turned on them. Yeah. Man. The next the next story here, a disgusting moment. I'm not going to show you all the photos because it's gross. Uh, a couple has sex on an open balcony of Airbnb in upscale Houston neighborhood, outraging neighbors. Also forced to put up with gun-toting weed smokers. Where oh. are my weed smokers at? They're in Houston. Airbnb has brought sex parties, drugs, and violence to this family neighborhood, according to the residents. Sex on a balcony for all to see is just one of the many troubling complaints uh, from this up t- upscale uh, Texas neighborhood. Residents of townhomes valued up to um, uh, half a million dollars, which you know is a lot there, according to the Houston uh, Fox station, are fed up with what they describe as sex parties, violence, drug use, happening in the short-term rental video has been pixelated and shows people having sex on an open balcony uh, close to an elementary school. Oh, come on. Two no, individuals decided you. to engage in some adult activities right there, right in front of us, right in front of everybody. One neighbor uh, tells the Fox station. Um, another shocking photo shows a woman wearing a thong outfit strutting along a cobbled pathway. Clips also show guests at the Airbnb shrieking and screaming at night while others paying expensive mortgages and rent struggle to relax inside their homes. People who live in the townhomes near Houston's Galleria Mall say this is not what they signed up for when they moved into the posh neighborhood with their kids. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have kids. There's an elementary school just two minutes away. Frustrated homeowners say they um, they witness sex parties, fights, yelling, half-naked people walking around all day long. So uh, That doesn't sound fun. We see that on the streets of San Francisco, fights, yelling, <laughs> half-naked people. But, uh, but we expect that, right? Yeah, we expect yeah. that here. Um, so anyway, I thought we'd uh, share that with you. Let's go to from this body of water to endangered sharks, large schools of unusual sharks that once swarmed two underwater mountains dotting the southern Gulf of California 
are now disappearing. The thought is that overfishing may be to blame. There's a new study released in the journal Marine Policy. It's oh, coming out next study. month. These are, we do, on the After Party Live, we're all about the new studies. This is a scalloped hammerhead shark. They have these flattened faces, wide-spaced eyes. They're a semi-pelagic species. So they spend part of their life at the bottom of the ocean, thank you, where they hunt and prey uh, for prey buried on the seafloor. They are considered moderately large for sharks. They grow up to 11 feet long, 335 pounds, and they live a solitary lifestyle. They tend to shy away from everything, including people. They make it very difficult for science to study more about them. Um, but scuba divers who observed these ocean predators over a 50-year period say their numbers have significantly declined. The population fell by 97% at the El Bajo Seamount from an average of 150 sharks in the 70s to just five in about 2010. Other sharks seen at the Los Animas Seamount have reportedly vanished altogether. There was a, an average of 100 sharks sighted uh, taking shelter there in the 70s. So it's sad, but apparently not surprising. Scuba divers are visiting both of these sites at least five times a year. These scalloped hammerhead sharks, most shark species in general, too, are vulnerable to extinction because they apparently produce very... Uh, few offspring. They have long gestation periods. They're slow growing. And so they just, they can't produce quickly and they tend to dwindle away and die also, out. It looks like it's hard for them to see. Jeez. I don't know. This one species, eye over there, one eye over here. One over here. Can't see where you're going. Let me turn, maybe, you're, huh? <laughs> maybe they just can't find the seam out. I don't know. But the species is now listed as critically endangered. This, um, this species yeah, it's on the red list of threatened species because they're targeted by fishers for their large fins, which are used in shark fin soup. Um, and they're particularly vulnerable to fishing because of their tendencies. So, yeah, sad. Sad Very situation sad. for the, um, what's it called? The, the scalloped hammerhead. Scalloped yeah. hammerhead. And now we're going to go from one animal to another animal. Apes. Oh, apes. Look at the apes. Apes recognize new. Uh, they recognize their friends that they haven't seen in decades. Wow, they're doing better than I am. According to new research, <laughs> apes can recognize old friends they haven't seen uh, for a very long period of time. According to new research, and it's the longest lasting social memory ever ever documented outside of humans. Researchers found that chimpanzees and bonobos were able to recognize photos of former group mates more than twenty five years after last seeing them in the flesh, with photos of old friends eliciting even more positive response. According to a study published Monday in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, it's tough to keep up on all these uh, journals. The senior author, uh, an assistant professor at John Hopkins University, told CNN that the research was inspired by its experience working with apes and sensing that they recognized him wow. even years after their last interaction. In order to test this, he uh, he uh, yeah he used photographs of apes who had died or left groups at Edinburgh uh, Zoo in Scotland. Uh, Plackendale Zoo in Belgium and Kumamoto Sanctuary in Japan. The team selected individuals whom the participating apes hadn't seen in periods ranging from nine months to 26 years, who had high quality images available on file and noted what kind of relationship the participants had had with the individuals. It's always weird when you have the word had twice. Had mm -hmm. had? Had had? Mm -hmm. Had had. Uh, had had. Researchers, our language is so funny. <laughs> Researchers then left two photographs, one of the ape that they had known and another of a stranger accessible to the apes and used non-invasive eye tracking 
that's the best type, mm. um, to measure where they looked and for how long. Results showed that the apes looked significantly longer at those that they knew, no matter how long it had been since they last saw them, and even longer at, still at those they had been friendly with. Um, he likens it to, to bumping into someone from high school in the street after not seeing them for years. It's a very familiar experience for humans. So I thought that was kind of cool. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. They're smarter than we think. I'm telling you. Uh, this is one of those interesting find stories. So a relative passes away. You're tasked with cleaning everything out. And the th sometimes the things they have squirreled away are pretty incredible. Mm. This is for a Sacramento man who has was cleaning out a home in Tracy. His dad had passed away. So he goes in, into the uh, this house that belongs in, to this man who passed away, and he finds a cigarette box that belonged to Ed. Ed is the person that passed away, the father in this case. And inside the cigarette box are all these old baseball cards and baseball memorabilia. Ed had lived in Oakland during the 1920s, and he started his collection in adolescence. He would often receive baseball cards as gifts from family members, and over the years, the number of cards in his possession continued to increase. Here's some of the ones in his collection. Babe Ruth, uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson, Ty Cobb. All of these were kept safe for decades in a 1900s-era Pedro cut-plug tobacco tin. I mean, incredible, the cards. Ed's son, John, said he remembered the rare occasions when his father would take the cards out and show it, show them to him. And the tin, uh, he said, when I was young, elementary school age, that we would look. And when Ed moved from the Bay Area to the San Joaquin Valley, the cards came with, and there they stayed until Ed passed away. After his father's death, John had to go clean out the house and prepare for the eventual sale. Um, but realized his dad never threw anything away so he started clearing out Neither the house did my dad yeah it's yeah it's a lot of work then to clean all those things out but the john began clearing out his father's home and he stumbles on the cigarette box he pulls the container out of out takes it back to his home in sacramento and doesn't realize that he now is the owner of some of the most rare and important baseball cards ever made. He said, I couldn't even believe what was in the auction people he took it to. I couldn't believe what was inside the tin when they first opened the lid. I started to ima imagine what it would be like to be a kid in the 1920s chasing the game's current greats. Ed had more than 600 pre-war baseball cards, many of them very well preserved inside the tin. So in addition to Babe Ruth, uh, Cobb and Shoeless Joe. They had a bunch of Hall of Famers. Walter Johnson, Christy Mathewson, uh, cards from the 1919 Chicago Black Sox were in there. Um, also, uh, recipients, I guess, of the, the moniker for allegedly throwing the World Series in the greatest scandal in sports histories. The cards ranging from 1919 to 1926, including a rare set of Z-Nuts cards that were distributed exclusively on the West Coast. He's going to have a lot of money. These cards are going to go for a lot. And I don't think they're going to sell them as a set. They'll probably do it individually. Um but yeah, they said that the surprising number of Babe Ruth cards and the variety and the rarity make this collection pretty cool, pretty incredible. Very nice. Yeah. Well, I think that brings us to our halftime. 
halftime, everybody, halftime. When we come back, we'll talk about um, this farmer that did a cat-themed piece of art in a rice field. Also, you know there are better states for dogs to live in. I guess in some states we pamper our dogs. In some cases, they're just dogs left to their own devices. We'll tell you what the um, the pampered pooch rankings are. And we'll also get into a story we talked about a little earlier on the Nikki Maduro show. Why you should sleep naked. Mm. Mm. It's all coming up on the After Party Live. Doug Andrew here. Most Americans have their money trapped in traditional IRAs or 401ks, usually invested in the market. That's not a liquid place to have your money. When you're in trouble, if you need access to your money, what happens? If you're under 59 and a half years old, there's a 10% penalty and you're going to pay taxes to the IRS. Learn what is a far better investment, the TAPL Fund. The PayPal link can be found in the About section of the YouTube channel or at the bottom of the show description. Thank you for your consideration. Aloha, bitches. It's the After Party Live. I mean, it's worth it's worth putting up with the whole first half of the show just to get to halftime. I'm telling you, <laughs> nicely done, nicely yeah, done. Yeah, you can tell huge, that that voice will never exit my mind. Huge thank you to ongoing contributor Isadora L and also Jim S. Thank so, you, Jim. So thank you, Isadora. West Theory pops in with the $5 super sticker. Al Anonymous with the $5 super sticker. Murphy Rowan with a $5 super sticker. Not as Murphy well. Brown. Not Murphy Brown. Murphy Murphy, Bo- our friend Murphy Rowan. Murphy yeah. Rowan, much more generous than Murphy Brown. Our dancing Murphy. That's right. We love her. Thank you guys for the support. Really, really nice. Happy holidays to everyone Thank as you. well. Thank you. So, so let's talk about what happened in this rice field. This is interesting. Yeah, this is pretty cool. Let me get you a photo um, and uh, you can check this out for yourself here. Look at this. That's humongous. Th- this is Thailand. A Thai farmer creates a cat-themed, cat-themed art in his rice field. A sleeping wow. cat hugs a fish in a picture seen from the air picked out in sprouting rainbow seedlings in a rice field in Thailand to illustrate a traditional proverb about abundance. Um, should I go for this name? Farmer yeah. Tanyampong Jaikam and a team of workers planted the seedlings at various spots in the field in the northern province of uh, Changrei. Wait, so this isn't painted on the ground? This is all growing? This these is are... all growing. Yeah. Whoa. These are These are seedlings. Yeah. Um, they were to depict cartoon cats, hoping to lure tourists and cat lovers. We're expecting tens of thousands to come and see the art of the rice fields. Uh, the process relies on GPS coordinates to position the seedlings as designated in an initial artist's sketch with the plants changing tint as they grow. It's crucial to put, uh, position them accurately and the rice will gradually change shades over time. Uh, until the final harvest stage, the rice uh, straw yields the portrait of Cooper, the cat on which it was modeled. Pretty cool. Viewing towers are being built in the surrounding area to give visitors a glimpse of the artwork, which is based on the Thai saying, if there is fish in the water and rice in the fields, the world's second largest exporter of grains after India, Thailand aims, I didn't know that, uh, Mm. Thailand aims to ship 8.5 million metric tons this year. Young people wanting to learn more about the interaction of art and technology could also benefit from visiting the site. Uh, previously, rice was mainly considered for consumption. This approach allows us to develop tourism and ag- agriculture simultaneously. 
So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's a really cool. cool picture. All right, let's get to spoiled pop puppies, spoiled dogs. They did Aww, a, a survey. Hello, puppy. Look <laughs> at you and your spa, spa day. They did a survey uh, at Forbes Advisor, and apparently, dogs in Colorado are among the most spoiled in the country. Forbes Advisor surveyed dog owners across the country, and they looked at metrics like how much dog owners spend on their dog's health. How many have bought their dog, brought their Never dog enough. on vacation with them? How many prepare homemade food for them? I know people who do that. They bake their own dog treats. They make their own dog food. How many buy their dogs gifts or throw their dogs parties for their dog's birthday? I am guilty. I did that once. Uh, how many paint their dog's nails? Overall, the survey found that more than one in five dog owners have spent more money on Christmas gifts for their dogs than for their friends and family. <laughs> Many dog owners spoiled their dogs during the Christmas season. 67% of respondents say they buy a holiday gift for their dog. 40% buy a holiday outfit for their dog. And nearly 40% prepare a special holiday meal for their dog. So here's how it panned out. Here's the most spoiled dog states, all right? Number one, Florida. Number hmm. two, Alaska. Number three is Washington State. Number four is Colorado. And the fifth state where you spoil dogs is California. Okay. Now, these states have the least spoiled dogs. This is where we don't spend very much money on our dogs. I guess in the Midwest. Number Northern. one is Oklahoma. Number mm -hmm. two is Indiana. Number mm -hmm. three is Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. Four, Idaho. Five, mm -hmm. New Mexico. And six, mm -hmm. South Carolina. So, you know, do you spend quality time with your dog? Do you spend money on your dog? Apparently, Colorado dog owners um, tied with the with a lot of people as the seventh most likely at a restaurant to order a special treat for their dogs. Have you ever done that? Or you don't have a dog, but no, order that'd a special be weird. Treat if I ordered a dog somewhere. treat at a restaurant without a dog, like, what are you doing? I don't know. Ways that you spoil a dog during the holidays: buy it a gift, buy the dog a holiday outfit prepare the special holiday meal for the dog, include the dog in a holiday card. 36% of people do that. Spend more money on gifts for the dog than gifts for friends. 22% do that. So mm -hmm. other ways that pet parents spoil their dogs, 58% take family photos with the dog. 53% buy the dog an outfit and accessories. 45% uh, spend more money on the dog's health and grooming than their own. 45% regularly prepare homemade dog food or treats. 45%, that's pretty pretty much pretty significant. 43% order the dog a special treat at a restaurant. 43% take the dog to dog-friendly activities like a kid. 41% bring the dog on vacation. 32% throw the dog a birthday party. 19% push the dog in a stroller. And 16% put perfume or cologne on the dog. Oh, so, don't do that. Don't do that. Look at all the ways we treat our little animals. Yeah. Animals are sensitive yeah. to smell uh, scent. Don't do that, please. Well, if you have a smelly animal, for some reason, my golden retriever is a stinky dog. So she does have golden retriever spray that we spritz her with when she gets a little stinky. Uh, but it's made for dogs. It's not. Made yeah, for yeah. 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 Um, check this out. This article, like as you mentioned, is about sleeping naked. Even oh, when little, it's cold out. Um, birthday suits action going on. Yeah, embrace the bare necessities. Despite the mm -hmm. chilly weather, ditching your PJs in favor of your birthday suit is the best way to sleep, according to sleep expert Sammy Margot. Um, your body temperature plays a crucial role in the timing of your sleep. Uh, this is a physiotherapist. 
Uh, it's linked to your circadian rhythm, the internal body clock which controls your sleep-wake cycle. Falling into a deep sleep is linked to cooling your body, so allowing your body to cool down by sleeping naked can signal to you that it's time to sleep. Going nude in the colder months could also help heat things up beneath the sheets, leading to increased physical and emotional intimacy. Um, sleeping in the nude has all sorts of reported benefits. In addition to helping people regulate their circadian rhythm while having the ideal body temperature, sleeping in the nude can improve sleep and thereby give people healthier skin. Sleeping nude is also supposedly reduce, uh, reduces stress and anxiety, produce, uh, pre, I'm sorry, prevents weight gain, lowers, there's that second cup of coffee, lowers the risk of heart mm. disease and type 2 di diabetes, promotes vaginal health. Um, I can't vouch for that. Um, increases male fertility, boosts self-esteem, uh, according to uh, what Margot had said earlier, can improve romantic relationships. Another expert has said an additional uh, sleep hygiene tip for the... Uh, I'm sorry, another expert had an additional sleep hygiene tip for the holiday season. A podcaster, Liz Moody, shared a five-minute health hack she said could help balance your circadian rhythm. Uh, a circ walk is short for circadian rhythm walk, and it's a quick walk outside as close to when you wake up and the sun comes out as possible to set your circadian rhythm. This tells your internal clock what time it is, and your internal clock regulates much more than just your energy levels and sleep. Yeah, I'm not Interesting. doing that. Interesting. No. Doing that. no. Well, before we get to entertainment news, please click the like button and please, please click the subscribe button as well. We appreciate that. Don't make us beg. Let's talk about Claire Foy. She played the queen in The Crown, among right. other things. And she was asked once uh, for an autograph and she said no. And here's why. Apparently, she was uh, asked outside of a building she'd just come out of. For a fan that handed her a blue Sharpie and she said, I don't do blue. Now you think that's weird, right? Yes. What do you mean you don't do blue? You not do blue. He said, what? And she said, yeah, I don't do blue. Then she signed an autograph for another fan who had a black Sharpie. So she signed that one, but she wouldn't do blue. So people are thinking this is weird, but it turns out that celebrities and athletes are taught not to sign in blue ink because it can be scanned and forged. Your signature can be forged on other things or be sold. That for whatever reason, when you sign in blue ink, it's more easy to um, to to use it for fraudulent reasons. And you couldn't scan black on white? Colored ink autographs get sold for far more money on eBay. Some celebrities don't want to support a secondary market or exploitation of their brand. Sometimes legal documents require blue ink because black ink is too easy to copy and reproduce. So celebrities are taught to only sign in black. So it's not easily transferred. The same reason why many won't sign a blank white paper. That is also easier to transfer. So right. if you want an sense. autograph, always carry a black pen. I had no idea. See, no well, one ever asked me for anything. So there I'm you gonna go. I'm going to have to <laughs> Google. I'm going to have to Google that. I have, yeah. I have no idea. Are you asking Thanks. questions again? Again? Not directly because I don't want to deal with the blowback, but um, the background's <laughs> blue. Don't copy our background. Our background's blue. Yeah, it's all right. I think we're safe. You know what else is blue? Oh. Melissa Joan Hart. Why? Um, Melissa Joan Hart reacts to fans' shock that she's playing a grandma at the age of 47. Oh. Now Clarissa can explain AARP. Hart's recent <laughs> Lifetime movie. Get this. You ready for the name of the movie? Yeah. Because We've talked about Lifetime movies. Would You Kill Me? The Mary <laughs> Bailey story. <laughs> Sees her playing a grandmother to a young girl who's instructed by her mother to put an end to her stepfather's abuse. 
Wow. Wow. Um, Melissa Joan Hart says fans can't believe their eyes when longtime followers of Sabrina the Teenage Witch piped up this uh, week about her playing a grandmother in Lifetime's Would You Kill Me. Uh, the actress decided to address the response in Instagram writing, let me explain. While I'm a proud, I'm proud of my performance in my most recent movie, I couldn't be more flattered that people don't think of me as a grandmother, no matter how possible that is at the age of 47. It's also refreshing to go viral for my work and not something controversial. Um, the former Clarissa explains it all, star then quipped, I guess now Clarissa can explain AARP or the middle-aged witch or play a middle-aged witch. That's very interesting. Forty-seven. I, I know women that are forty-seven that are grandmothers. You know, if you had your, if you had that's kids his, in your twenties, young, but it's still young. Realistic. Um, by the way, Heather says she always signs stuff with blue ink, so it shows up better as a PDF scan. Interesting. Hmm. Anonymous hmm. says black ink can be scanned too with technology. So I don't yeah, know. Yeah, there must be some distinguishing factor mm -hmm. that makes it easier in certain cases. Erica, regarding the grandma situation, says it's like everyone freaking out when Melissa. Uh, I think it was Marissa, Marissa Tomei, Marissa Tomei. Uh, played Aunt May and Spider-Man. Oh, right, yeah. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, this next story, um, slightly different. Jennifer Love Hewitt, right? She's in the Yeah. News. So, you know, women in Hollywood, they have to, they feel obligated to go and get all these procedures done. Right. And this, to, this is you how know, we remember her from the uh, movies yeah. in the 90s and party. And five. I guess people, when they see her, they still want to see the young Jennifer Love Hewitt. You know, but that's not who she is anymore. She's talking about struggling with aging in Hollywood and apparently posted this photo of herself where, yeah, she cut her hair and people are saying um, that she looks a lot different, um, but she chopped off her hair and then she went on this podcast called Inside of You. And she talked about how she felt that she really can't do any right in the public eye. Mm -hmm. She's 44 now. So fans have been flooding the comment section of her Instagram post of this picture that you see here with remarks wondering if she had plastic surgery done. Hewitt is saying aging in Hollywood is really hard. And mm. she threw a filter on while she was getting her hair done because she didn't have okay. any makeup on. Yeah, it does it was, look like there's a filter on the. She on said the there was just a filter that at the time looked nice in the light at the station and that I gave it no, she said, I gave it no thought. And she said a bunch of people saw it and they said, Jennifer Love Hewitt is unrecognizable. So she's gone to fillers because she doesn't want us to know how bad she looks in her forties. She said the response was crazy and she decided to clap back by using over the top and crazy filters. But then that went awry. She was like all natural filler, filler, are all natural, no filter, trying to make fun of it. And then they came out uh, after her over that saying, well, now she's just defending herself. So in the end, she realizes she really can't do any right here. People are always going to complain. doesn't matter. Yeah. And here she yeah. is from her latest project. Um, but that's got to be tough, especially for women, because there's the double standard. I don't know if you're aware of that, that men can age what they call like aging gracefully as a man, whereas mm -hmm. women just get constantly criticized. That's lame. right. Lame sauce. It sucks. It's not fair at all. And I mean, I don't know what people want women to be. You know, we we get old too, and we <laughs> are normal. And oh, cause zoom tight, my little chickadee. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I called you a little chickadee, was, but I mean, they, I went with it. They want people to stay young, and that's that's not realistic. That is not realistic. Mm -mm. Um, I have some, I have uh, stunning photos of Uranus, Kim. Uh, what? <laughs> 
Oh, Uranus. Yes. See, <laughs> see Uranus like you've never seen it before. Uh, NASA releases a stunning photo of the planet showing its rings, moons, and storms in incredible detail. And wait till we zoom in here and check this out. Wow. wow. Um, it is a cold, icy world and one of the most distant planets in our solar system. And now astronomy fans have been treated to a new view of Uranus, Kim. Um, revealing its rings, moons, and even storms in incredible detail. NASA's James Webb Space Telescope has snapped a new photo of the ice giant spinning on its side. With its exquisite sensitivity, uh, Webb captures Uranus's, Uranus's dim inner and outer rings, including the elusive, oh yes, the elusive Zeta ring, the extremely faint and diffuse ring closest to the planet. Uh, it also mm -hmm. uh, imaged many of the planet's 27 known moons, We've really been seeing some small moons uh, within the rings. You can see them on the outside there. Pretty cool. Uranus is uh, more than 1 billion miles away from Earth, and it's one of the least explored planets uh, in our solar system. Well, yeah, I would think so, right? Unless it's aliens. <laughs> it was previously <laughs> photographed back in the 80s by NASA's Voyager 2 spacecraft. Um, in these images, which only show visible wavelengths, Uranus appears as a placid, soft um, solid, I'm sorry, solid. Ball. What? <laughs> not soft. Placid. Solid. What are you talking about? Uranus, placid, not placid, placid, placid. placid, not placid, placid, placid I don't even solid know what's ball. happening anymore. However, NASA's uh, Webb Space Telescope <laughs> has the ability to take photos in infrared wavelengths. This has allowed it to reveal exciting atmospheric features around the ice world, including seasonal North Pole uh, cloud caps. This polar cap is unique to Uranus. Uh, it, it seems to appear when the pole enters direct sunlight in the summer. That happens to all of us, right? When you enter direct sunlight in the summer and it vanishes in the autumn. Uh, there you go. Pretty cool. I'm such a small child. I just can't get... Every time you say Uranus... You can't I get enough of Uranus? I can't, get, I can't get enough of my anus. What? And don't forget yeah. to point it to the sun. Mm, let's talk about the orange Grinch. You're a mean one. Orange Grinch. This couple said that they had a, caught a burglar on camera taking presents from underneath their Christmas tree at their house. This happened in Orange County on Monday oh, no. in Huntington Beach. The residents say a, they were at work when the intruder broke into their home through a sliding door in the back. The home security video shows the burglar wearing an, a hoodie and the light colored pants going through their Christmas presents under their Christmas tree. Oh, really? The couple said several of the items, including presents that were for their children, were taken from the home. So far, they noticed two iPads, a camera, and jewelry had been swiped. And they say, we can replace those things. But just to have my kids experience that and know what happened is really sad for them. That apparently they've had a lot of break-ins in this neighborhood, um, or that rather that they're unheard of. They don't have break-ins in this neighborhood, so they're shocked by this video. So far, they're not releasing any details. It doesn't look like this man has been arrested yet. Can you believe that someone would break into a house and take presents from under the tree? I mean, I guess anything's believable in this well, day. Well, I mean, age, we've seen it in man, the movies. Come so. on, that's awful. Orange Grinch, indeed. Um, but you don't want to be a hypochondriac. No, you because don't. hypochondriacs still wind up living shorter lives than the rest of us. Wait, then the rest of us? What if I am a hypochondriac? hypochondriac. Mm. Um, I feel I feel threatened. <laughs> People who worry excessively about their health tend to die earlier than those who don't. According to a new uh, study from uh, from the uh, study people in Sweden, yeah. it seems strange that hypochondriacs who by definition worry yet have nothing wrong with them should enjoy 
shorter lifespans than the rest of us. Um, first, a word about terminology. The term hypochondriac is fast becoming a pejorative. Instead, we medical professionals, uh, they, they, not me, are encouraged to use the term illness anxiety disorder, IAD. Now we have a new term. So to avoid triggering our more sensitive uh, viewers uh, and listeners, we have to use this term, IAD. We can define IAD as a mental health condition characterized by excessive worry about health, often with an unfounded belief that a serious medical condition is present. It may be associated with frequent visits to the doctor or may involve going avoiding them altogether on the grounds that a real and quite possibly fatal condition might be di diagnosed. The latter virant strikes um, this uh, writer as quite rational. A hospital is a dangerous place and you can die in a place like that. IAD can be quite debilitating. A person with the condition will spend a lot of time worrying and visiting clinics and hospitals. It's costly to the health system because of the time and diagnostic resources used, right? And it's quite stigmatizing. Yeah. Um, the Swedish researchers tracked about 42,000 people over two decades. During that period, people with the disorder had an increased risk of death. On average, warriors died five years younger than those who worried less. Furthermore, the risk of death was increased from both natural and unnatural causes. Perhaps people with IAD have something uh, wrong with them after all. People with IAD dying of natural causes had increased mortality from cardiovascular causes, respiratory causes, and unknown causes. Inst interestingly, they did not have an increased mortality from cancer. This seems to be odd because cancer anxiety is rife in this population. That's usually where I go. Like my flow chart is like pain, you know, oh no, I have cancer. Right, of <laughs> That's course. That's where my brain goes. The principal cause of unnatural death in the IAD cohort was from suicide, ugh, with oh, at least no. a fourfold increase over those without IAD. Um, so it's known with, uh, to have a strong association with psychiatric disorders as suicide risk is increased by psychiatric illness. Um, then this finding, it seems quite reasonable. If we add in the fact that people with IAD may feel stigmatized and dismissed, then it follows that this may contribute to anxiety and depression, leading ultimately to suicide in some cases. Oh, no. Um, the increased risk of death from natural causes seems less easy to explain. There may be a lifestyle factor, alcohol, smoking, uh, drug use are more common in anxious, anxious people and those uh, with psychiatric disorders. Uh, it is known that such vices can limit one's longevity, and so they may be contributing to the increased mortality from IAD. Uh, yeah, interesting. and I think that suicide hotline is 988 in the United States, right? Yeah. Yeah, 988. Yes. Um, there's another national suicide prevention Although lifeline. Although I hope this show is not driving you there. No, but every time we mention it, I always give out the number. I've done it for that's just You're kind such of a professional. 1-800-273-1-800-273-8255. Oh, well, now you're making it complicated. National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, as well as the 988 Crisis yeah. Lifeline. So it goes to the okay. same place. Let's go to something a little more uh, fun, you could say. I don't know if it's fun. You remember we talked about the orange peel test? Yeah. Where when you have a relationship, if you try to get BS. somebody to do something for you, like peel your orange, then you can see how your relationship really is, which is totally baloney to I try think to you're like, manipulative and you yes, have issues to work on. Exactly. Um, well, now there's another test. My hair looks weird. I'm taking my headphones off. Let me fix it. Okay. Can't it's driving me crazy. Okay. So now there's another test. As if the first one wasn't now manipulative I have anxiety. Enough. <laughs> this one is called the bird test. Oh, I'm intrigued. <laughs> Tell me more. So this one, 
If you pass the bird test, if you're with someone, romantic or not, if you say something that could be determined insignificant and your partner responds with genuine curiosity, it's a really good sign that your relationship will last a long time. Basically, they say your partner's interest in what you have to say could be telling. Does your significant other actually engage with you and your trivial comment, or do they dismiss and ignore you? But wait, it if could, it, what if it's fake and they're just um, humoring you because they're not really listening and they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah, no. So apparently this, this bird test has been gaining popularity. The idea is to examine how your partner reacts to you talking about something completely insignificant like a bird outside your window. So, <laughs> did I call you insignificant? That's rude. My bad. I'm sorry, little birdie. Um, the bird test, yeah. So you you just say a bunch of stupid stuff, and to okay. see how you react. So I would just talk about something that was completely irrelevant that no one had any interest in, and see how you react to me. Like this test. And based on your reaction, then I would know, is he really into me? Like, does he really care what I have to say? Or is he just, you know, if he blows me off, he doesn't have really a lot of interest in my Or thought. maybe this is the final straw. Maybe this is the final straw. Yeah. Or maybe if you're talking about something inane and not interesting, then, you, then the person has every right to tune out. Or maybe they're going to therapy and are like, my partner just keeps on testing me with the stuff that I see on the internet. That's the thing. If you have to test your partner... Then maybe it's the wrong relationship between the orange peeling talking. test and the bird test. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't like the testing thing. Mm. I don't like it either. <laughs> uh, let's go from birds to frogs and toads and tadpoles. Ready oh, for this? Yeah. A biblical <gasps> plague of frogs, toads, and tadpoles causes a multi car pileup. What were uh, they all on is... the road? This is in Honduras. A biblical plague of toads, frogs, and tadpoles uh, wreaked havoc in a Honduras city, even causing a multi-car pileup. Check this out. The amphibians took over the street and homes of Choloma after heavy rain fell in the area, causing drains to overflow and puddles to form. The outbreak started on December 3rd, according to locals, and it continued for at least three days. Oh, at one point, a pickup truck lost control on the slime left behind and caused Ew. a pileup involving five vehicles, including a tanker, two lorries, um, and a, a motorbike that was left burnt to a crisp. Uh, oh, there were no man. fatalities, but the road was blocked for some time, causing a long tailback. Um, and Lori, of course, would be like a big rig. All um, because of sl slippery, slimy frog guts? That's right. Some of the people Yikes. caught up in the crash had to be taken to the hospital in the nearby city of San Pedro Sula. You know where that is. Um, yeah, it's right by where the coffee beans are harvested for Whole Foods. <laughs> Several people filmed the creature swarming the area including one man who said this scares me it looks a lot more like the plagues of egypt according to the book of exodus the second plague of oh, egypt God. was a plague of frogs the account says moses at the command of god brought forth a multitude of amphibians from the nile and they covered egypt for three days and it was three days so that's a little eerie Ooh. earlier this month another biblical plague of locusts hit the yucatan peninsula in mexico um, miles long clouds of bugs blanketed the skies, flying through shopping plazas, smacking into windows of apartment complexes and gobbling up anything green in the local parks. In the book of Exodus, locusts were eighth of the 10 plagues sent to carpet Egypt. Coming in at number eight, locusts. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's there awful. Gross. Ugh, what a mess. 
Yeah. yeah. Very crazy. You want to do one more? Yeah. Let's go to babies. Little babies. Little babies. Love those little babies. Um, this one is about how babies apparently are born with the ability to discern a beat in music. Babies got the beat is oh, what it is. Yeah, yeah oh, they yeah. do. Somewhere along the way, some of us lose the beat. They did this experiment involving um, playing drum rhythms, occasionally um, omitting a beat, and they observed the responses of newborns. And astonishingly, the newborns displayed an anticipation of the missing beat as their brains exhibited a distinct spike, signaling a violation of their expectations when a note was missing. The discovery unveiled the musical prowess of newborns, they say, but helped lay the foundation of this field studying the origins of musicality. They say music is not solely a cultural phenomenon, but also has deep biological roots, apparently offering an evolutionary advantage to our species. So pretty interesting little study that newborns, they're able to discern this regular pulse, this regular beat in music. And, you know, I, yeah, love it. The oh, story yeah. of Throw your hands up in the air. <laughs> this is uh, from Popular Science, but the story originally came from the MIT Press, if you're looking for it. So. Very, very cool. Yeah. Well, that, I guess that is the end. Look at that little baby face. Of our Wednesday edition of the After Party. No, Somewhat no. live. <laughs> we want to thank our contributors uh, today, including Wes T., Wes, Wes, Wes. Al Anonymous. Al Anonymous. Big thank you. Murphy Rowan. Murphy Rowan. Oh, and Beth. Much. Beth Farmer. Beth Sorry, you didn't see it. Beth, $20 from Beth, Beth Farmer. $20. That's so nice. I like feel a like good you guys friend. are. Beth, Beth Farmer is there. Is there. <laughs> I feel like you guys are so kind and so generous during the holiday season. So thank you for that. I hope everybody has a good rest of their afternoon. Oh, we should thank our ongoing contributors as well. Uh, and that is Isadora L and Jim S. So thank you, thank you, thank, thank you. you. Thank you both. We will be back tomorrow. We have a lot of stories still to talk to you about, including, did you see that Guy Fieri's kids have to have at least two college degrees? So I would assume a bachelor's degree and a some type of secondary degree. But they also have to pronounce his last name the way he pronounces Fieri. Fieri. It's almost like with the D. Fieri. In order for them to be even considered in his will, they have to have at least two degrees. Well, I'm I'm really appreciating my mom more and more. Yeah, I guess so. We'll also show you the pictures of. Tiana's Bayou Adventure at Disneyland. They've just released the first new photos of that. That is all tomorrow on the After Party Live. But until then, thank you for being here, everybody, and have a really great rest of your day. Have a great afternoon, everybody. Bye-bye. Meow, 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 meow,